The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We are delighted to have you here with us this week as once again, we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. Now today, I'm lucky enough to have with me Michelle Vancour. Michelle, along with her colleague, Michelle Griswold, is the editor of Breastfeeding Best Practices in higher education. And just to give you a little context here, that book is some 200 pages long. Michelle and Michelle are editors, and there are various authors throughout the book. But anyway, I do have uh, Michelle Vancouver with me today. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Michelle, I was really quite intrigued that such a book had even been written, Best Practices in Higher Education. I looked at that and I thought, well, I seem to have done my time in higher education. This should be pretty interesting to me. Uh, What was your impetus or your inspiration for writing this book? Well, Michelle and I were considering all of the uh, university programs that we were watching, observing as they were uh, developing on different campuses across the country, Uh and wondering about some of the universities that were not following suit. Mm. So we started to pay closer attention to some of the conversations that were happening among our colleagues and realized that, that many... Uh, of the employees at the universities who would be responsible for creating support initiatives just really didn't have the right information as to how to go about establishing best practices on their own campuses. That's superb because that's exactly where I wanted to be today was to talk about not only what a best practice might be, and uh, we'll, I'll get to that in a second, but but also just plain how do you get started And I was thinking that certainly step one would be that you would have uh, the people involved actually get involved. And I know that in your book you go into, you've given a fairly large list of who those people may or may not be. Uh, Let's face it, it's probably a little bit different on every campus. But after you have the right people and the right players, kind of like what's the the next step here, Michelle? Well, it's... uh it's hard even just to identify who the right players are. Having been through this process myself and having all the information that I have at my fingertips, <laughs> I, I realize that there's always there are always challenges that you often can't 
predict ahead of time. Yep. So, <laughs> um, so you know, you could have a great group of people together uh, in somewhere you're going to, someplace you'll hit a roadblock, whether it's about space, which happens to be one of the most common oh, yeah. uh, pitfalls for, yep. for people in higher education. Every, yep. you know, square inch is, is valuable to them. Uh, but it's also about the resources and just the knowledge of how to go about organizing the space that you do have so that it is convenient and accessible and, and it adheres to the federal and probably state laws that are in place as to what accommodations need to be made. And then oftentimes in higher education, especially on some campuses, things take much, much longer than any would when anyone would anticipate. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> so it, it's a little bit different than, than corporate America when it comes to these things. Yeah, I was just thinking that I've taught in three different universities, and I had to kind of fight like a crazy lady to have just a little bit of office space and I was a faculty member, for pity's sake. So it seems like when you're talking about, oh, let's have a room just for mothers, and whether you're calling it the motherhood room or the lactation lounge or whatever it is, it sounds to me like that was the biggest, is, is that a fair statement that that was the biggest obstacle you came upon? Um, I think each obstacle is big in its own right, I guess. And it, as it, <laughs> yes. you mentioned, it, it varies from campus to campus. So yeah. while that might be enormous on one campus, it may be really insignificant on another, dependent upon the culture of that university. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely would say that it, uh, in um, concert with the, the space allocation itself, I think that many institutions don't want to limit any space to one particular group of people, especially when they perceive that need to be temporary. And so they worry about the utilization of that space. And it just doesn't dawn on them that millions of women are having births, you know, like one after another. It's sequential. (laughs) Right, right. And (laughs) that that there's going to be turnover and that it's just never going to go away, right? So, Michelle, what might be a tip that you might give? I'm, I'm sure that tip is such a small word for such a big endeavor, but how how can you convince the people that are in decision-making roles that, in fact, you do need this little bit of space and, no, it's not a temporary need, and, yes, this really is important? How would you help us to get that done in our own university settings, maybe? Well, one of the, the biggest uh supporters for that I think is is the moms themselves is they're they're yep. being vocal about their needs and addressing them up front you know prior to going out on on their leave let's say to have their babies but to be discussing what supports are going to be in place when they return to campus I think the more women that are inquiring about this the more um, popular childbirth breastfeeding becomes in that environment uh, the, another thing is that you know the law, the federal law, and then right. the Affordable Care Act. Since then, we've seen, we've just had more leverage, I guess, in terms of trying to have these accommodations become, uh, at least some of them, become more permanent spaces and well-respected spaces that are designated primarily for moms. We do sometimes on some campuses still find that spaces are are either temporary swing spaces or they have a dual function. So a couple of campuses have, you know, the the lactation slash meditation space, 
But that's very problematic to a mom that needs to pump breast milk on a schedule and, and that space is being utilized by maybe a male colleague for meditation at that same time. Oh, I'm seeing that because I know that somewhere in your book, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which campus or which author it was, but they were saying that, yeah, you can have a lock on the door, but then that uh, engendered another whole set of issues, or you could have one of those punch locks and that's a whole other issue, or you could have just in and out, or you could have sign up or whatever, but all of those things kind of have their own set of issues attached. Right. Yeah. As you, you might remember, even from, you know, your days with breastfeeding, and I definitely can remember from mine, uh, I think moms get really used to having to navigate through those little barriers, those challenges in order to yeah. find solutions that work for them. But it's very, you know, woman specific at the time. Um, I am on a campus where we've tried several locking mechanisms uh, and we've gone back to just the key, <laughs> just, a, <laughs> just a key access and a push button on the other side to maintain the locked uh, status. But um, But there are colleagues that I have that, that still that really value the the key the code key in and um, and other methods. Uh, I have a colleague at a, another Connecticut institution that left the door open, and then only when you were on the inside would it get locked. So moms would go in and lock it. But they recently found that someone went into that space for a completely unrelated purpose, oh, and brother. and you know it resulted in a in a major security issue on campus. So okay. you know again. There's a lot to be considered. So, Michelle, would it be reasonable to, I'm trying to think how I might get my arms around this if I were in your shoes. For example, you were saying that there was sign-up versus no sign-up, and you went through a, a lot of things in the book. Is it is it useful to ask the mothers themselves which of these would you prefer? And I'm thinking that might be a good idea but eight months from now, you probably got a whole different set of mothers. So how does that work? That's true. <laughs> uh, well, I have just gone through this process at my campus. We just opened our first multi-user uh, lactation space. And I started by just talking to a lot of women that I knew that were pregnant at the time or had recently been had a baby and had, I knew had breastfed. And I talked to them about their experiences everywhere, you know, at the mall, in other community buildings, and tried to get a sense of what they felt that, that they liked best about those spaces. And we try to incorporate a lot of that into that space. What we have happening now is an online assessment process. So we check in regularly with moms who are registering for and using the space to find out what's working. So we put a lot of little amenities into that space and we want to make sure that they're you know, being utilized, that there's maybe not something else that they would prefer to see in those spaces. So I yes, noticed- I, it's a moving target, I think. Yeah. Moving target, that's a really good word. I I was thinking, too, that you used uh, the Google calendars for people to sign up, but then in other situations, there was no sign up. You could just do drop-in, and I'm looking at all of those things, and I'm thinking there's there's just no one-size-fits-all scenario here, and I would also wonder if it differs from... uh, I was trying to think, one of your authors had three different campuses. So it's only one university, but it's three different campuses. So then 
do you try to go for uniformity or do you just kind of wing it? My experience is uh, with looking at different universities, public, private institutions, big campuses, small campuses, uh, that, that it definitely varies. Okay. At my institution right now, we're trying to go with uh, some things that are definitely standardized, like our registration would be standardized, but our room reservation system would have to be separate. Uh, one Got of our it. spaces, for example, is in the library, and the library one runs their own space reservation system. So that would Got never it. carry over to the other buildings. So, Got it. And I think that's what happens. One of the best practices is to put your spaces back out into the community. So allowing different departments to take leadership for managing the spaces, promoting them, making sure that they're clean, that kind of stuff. And it, it creates that buy-in and it helps to, to create a breastfeeding friendly culture on the campuses when, you, when that type of a process is employed. And in doing that, it's important to let those areas and those people who are responsible have that say, I guess, in, no, in what no. would work better for their constituents. Excellent. Now, when we come back from the break, I'm going to be asking Michelle about those best practices. It was the title of her book, but also scattered throughout that 200-page book are these best practices. So don't go away. We're going to dive into that much more deeply I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Dr. Michelle Banker. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with my guest, Michelle Vancour, who is the editor for the book, Breastfeeding Best Practices in Higher Education. Now, Michelle, I have to tell you that when I saw higher education, the first thing that jumped to my mind was this was going to be about students in a university setting. And in fact, it seemed to me like there was a lot of of, um, emphasis on the faculty and staff. How how did the students figure into all of this? That's a great question. Um, interestingly, we were not trying initially to omit students in the process. Uh, sure. We looked sure. at institutions specifically to see what they were offering and what best practices were there. And we realized that pretty much none of the campuses were really purposefully addressing students in their lactation support programs. Mm-hmm. So many campuses were, were servicing students through their lactation support programs, but they were not their primary target. So they didn't talk about them. They weren't part of their needs assessment, any evaluation that was being done. And they didn't really weigh in that much into to why they were doing what they were doing. And again, that, that had a lot to do with the laws around workplace accommodations for breastfeeding. Okay. That was that was their leverage in making their programs uh, more sustainable with their, their campus administration. Okay. okay. Uh, right now I'm working on a breastfeeding-friendly campus initiative uh, in Connecticut. And in that initiative, we in Connecticut are focusing on students, faculty, and the community. We just, we're trying to, to minimize barriers and level the playing field so that everyone has full access to the lactation support programs in higher education. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that dawned on me, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I did not read the book word for word, but I did read a lot of it. And I could not see anywhere that you specifically addressed community colleges. It seemed to be uh, four-year colleges or universities. Do you think it's any different with community college? Because my experience has been that community college tends to, first of all, have more students that are older or married or having children. Of course, I've probably shown my age there. Uh, Or... I think this is a fair statement. More of them are commuters. So they're coming in and they from the home and they have all of the commuter baggage of not having breastfed their baby for X number of, of minutes just because they've had to commute in. Do you think the issues are any different for a community college? 
I think some of the issues may be a little bit different for community colleges. And, and I hear some of this from my community college colleagues. Okay. Um, some of their students are not on campus for the same length of time that, that others of us might find our students. Right. Therefore, by the nature that they are addressing a, a population that takes classes in a certain way. And so they huh. might might come to campus and take a couple of classes in the morning or a couple of classes after work in the evening. And so um, so they can have access to pumping breast milk, let's say, or breastfeeding their babies maybe at other times. However, sure. community colleges do tend to do a much better job with supporting childcare needs. And mm. so a lot of the moms who are go- attending at least the community colleges in Connecticut have their children, their, their infants and small children in in childcare that's either directly on the campus or very adjacent to the campus. And so in between classes, they go over and actually will utilize the childcare centers as the spaces where they pump their breast milk or actually breastfeed their babies. Nice, nice. And for those of you who have not been following me in uh, recently, I did two whole shows on just uh, uh, daycare or childcare situations and all of the goods and bads to that. So, Michelle, that's really interesting. How, either from the community college standpoint or the university standpoint, how do the students get ample notification that this lactation program or these lactation lounges or whatever are available to them? And I realize that in some places, it may be very limited in other places. It may be huge. But how are students aware that this exists for them? Communicating the availability of these spaces and these initiatives, I think, is one of the most important things that you, campuses need to do. And yeah. I think, as you mentioned, some of them are doing it much better than others. Right now on my own campus, uh, our first user of our multi-user lactation space is a student. So I, I'm really happy about that. Okay, good. Mm. But, um, but at the same time, you know, we're working to do more with website promotion and regular communications out to the community. And, and as part of our breastfeeding friendly campus initiative that we just started, we're trying to make sure that every employee on our campus is aware of our commitment to support breastfeeding. So that as students are are showing that they're pregnant or talking about going out or taking a leave or coming back with a baby that they're breastfeeding, that the faculty and the staff are 100% aware of how to refer that student over to a lactation space or address, you know, her needs in reaching her breastfeeding goals. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm thinking that uh, it was a a sports team. I want to say it was the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm so sorry. I'm I'm so sports not savvy here, but uh, they were able to put a portable lactation room in the stadium. And when I interviewed their PR person, I said, you know, how, how, like, how did you deal with this? And she said, we put it on the website. We made sure that all the fans knew about it. And we didn't even know if anybody would go and use it. But as you might imagine, Michelle, (laughs) it was very well used. And they did track how many people went in and went out and so forth. And so that would bring me to another question, I guess, which is, do you have some statistics on how many people, and let me be clear, for anyone who's listening, 
I think that Michelle is talking about something bigger than just a room. But nonetheless, a room is pretty major here. So do you have some statistics on how many people use these lactation rooms or motherhood rooms? Well, on my campus, we're in the beginning phases of collecting that information, and our new system will help us to track that. Good, uh, good. So I definitely recommend for campuses looking to start start a, a program that they figure out what will work best for them in order to be able to track it, because I think collecting that data and then having the possibility to go back and evaluate how well your program is working is yes. Um But I do know that that uh, like Johns Hopkins University, for example, they have they have tracked their room usage and they have said that um, in one particular school building, there's been over 12,000 visits in one year. Holy. So, you know, it, it, again, depends upon the, the nature, the demographics of the your employees, your students. Sure. In but particular even so. area. Right. 12,000 is a lot of people, Michelle. I do know that for my one student that's using the multi-user room right now, you know, that she's using it a few times a day, every day of the week. So that will add up quickly. Oh, right. That's true. Because if you have someone who has a relatively small infant and they're there a lot of the day, that's going to be a lot of visits just by one person. Right. As opposed to maybe somebody who has an older child or is on campus very little. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. And can, I also, add, can I add also that, of course, some women will choose, still choose to pump their breast milk or breastfeed their babies in other spaces. Right. So if you have a private office, you would probably just choose to stay in your private office. Uh, so we won't give you 100% reliability on the number of breastfeeding moms or the need for supports and, and breastfeeding-friendly initiatives uh, on your campus. Well, that's true. But then I would say if a woman is in her own office, then she doesn't necessarily need that space. But then I think it goes to the other good things that you're doing and which clearly came out in the book, namely... I don't know if you ever really came out and said this, but I got the distinct feeling that what you have done with these best practices is not just about finding the space. It's not just about uh, giving people an opportunity to uh, have what they're entitled to by the law. It's really about in the, the community support. In fact, I think that maybe at GW, the author had said the very first thing was really about community support. So am I following that correctly? Definitely. I think we're trying to normalize breastfeeding and we're trying to change the culture for too long. Uh, Institutions of higher education, women in particular, you know, can be great role models and great mentors, but oftentimes research has shown that other female students look up to them and think, you know, I'm not sure I would want to do what you're doing. <laughs> this doesn't sure. look like look good. Yeah. Uh, so we want to make sure that not only the faculty and not only the staff are seeing this as something that should be normal everywhere and accepted everywhere, but that the students are reaping those benefits as well. So the whole culture is embracing this. Michelle, before we go to break, one thing that I'm curious about is, uh, 
Do you get pressure from the students to bring their babies to class? Uh, occasionally, I do. I do know that in um, I have colleagues in Canada, and I know that they are working towards making that more of a normal process. Uh, in Connecticut, I don't think that will be in our near future. Right. But I do okay. think that it does happen case by case. Okay. Well, I know that... Um, I teach a comprehensive lactation course for IBCLCs, and I also teach a review course. And I always say that they may bring their baby if the baby is non-mobile and quiet. But you can imagine that when people are paying hundreds of dollars for a course, you know, they really don't want to be distracted. Even even cute little baby things are, are distracting. And so it's really kind of a double-edged sword. Oh, hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm here today with my guest, Dr. Michelle Vancor, and we will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. 
I have with me today Michelle Vancour, who is the author, excuse me, the editor, along with her colleague, Michelle Griswold, for Breastfeeding Best Practices in Higher Education. Michelle, before we went to break, we were talking about some of these practices. And as I went through the book, I noticed that different authors at different universities named what seemed to me to be different practices. So I don't think we need you necessarily to articulate all of those best practices. But what would you see as maybe some critical best practices that you would want to see at every college or university? Well, I I will add that the authors talk about different best practices to some extent because we reached out to them to participate in this book opportunity because some of them did unusual things that made uh-huh. that were best practices. Okay. But uh-huh. some of the ones that were popular and crossed went across all of the campuses that were inc- are included in the book um, are the five minute walking rule, getting their lactation spaces into their facilities development plans, okay. uh, using collaboration or support networks from uh-huh. within the university environment and off campus. Okay. And Having an on-campus policy that mm. talks about the time it, it takes in order to pump breast milk. Okay. So I'm happy to talk about any of those in greater detail oh, if you'd like. Oh, woman, you are on. I This five-minute walking rule, I noticed it in the book. Please tell our listeners about the five-minute walking rule. So most of the universities try to establish this five-minute walking rule, which is suggests that it would a lactation space would be every five minute walk. So you wouldn't want to have one, some of the campuses we know are spread out over acres or they're in one part of a a town and then another part of a town or in some instances in separate towns. Yes. (laughs) Trying to accommodate the breastfeeding mothers so that at any given time they would just have to get up and walk about five minutes to get to their space because that time becomes time that's taken away from their breastfeeding. So yes. if I have to walk 20 minutes, then I may, my break, my time off or time to breastfeed may only allow me, you know, 10 minutes to pump breast milk in order to get back to resume my work schedule. So uh, many have prioritized making sure that there was a space. And again, some of those spaces are permanent spaces for lactation and some are temporary spaces. Occasionally, it's just a conference room that's allocated during the amount, the the months, the amount of time that that mom needs to use that space. Oh my! Yes, I was thinking that on. I've I've really never been on a huge campus, but for those people who have, uh, I I would agree that I could see where you could have to make a twenty minute power walk, you know. <laughs> And uh, I could imagine that some women would be doing that with their breasts full and leaking, and that might not be a happy thing. So five-minute walking rule sounds good. Also, you know, weather, if it's raining, if it's snowing, moms may think about the length of that walk uh, and decide not to go, which then could potentially diminish her milk supply, and she might not achieve her breastfeeding goals down the line. I went to graduate school at Syracuse University, and I remember the very first night that I arrived uh, on campus for a class. I had a 6.30 class, and it was snowing, 
And the best way to get to the building from where I had parked was these outside stairs. And just for yucks, I counted the stairs. There were 127 stairs. I remember it to this day. (laughs) And I'm thinking, (laughs) you know, honestly, I just cannot imagine doing that, being postpartum and lactating and leaking. Oh, dear. Um, So five-minute walking rules sounds like a great idea. Talk to us a little bit about this campus policy. I can just imagine. I mean, I know in a hospital, getting a policy is like a major to-do. What can you tell us about these campus policies? I I think your experience crosses over into the university (laughs) environment as well. Uh, Definitely a lot of people involved, a lot of, you know, multiple reviews. It seems like it'll take forever before you end up with a policy that everyone agrees upon. Um, But it is important to have a policy that embraces your, the federal law, your state law, and then helps to put that legal language into practice for moms and for their supervisors, for their professors, so that there's an, a campus-wide understanding of how moms are going to be supported in their, on their breastfeeding journeys. Okay. I, I started to say, typically, how long does it take to come to closure with that? And I realize there's probably no <laughs> typically, but uh, is there a range? I mean, are we talking weeks or years here? You know, I think it really depends upon who's involved in the decision. Uh So on my campus, we're going through that right now. We started the process in September. It's just a few people that are weighing in, but we make edits. The edits, you know, go back to the person writing, and then they go back up to the other people, and then they come back down. And a lot of it has to do with trying to be – to. Um, say the right thing, right? Yep, you know, we yep. want to protect ourselves legally, but we don't want to, to mislead anyone. And so just trying to, to address that. And again, it's ironic that this w- would take long even on my campus because I have all of these other universities breastfeeding policies at, at my fingertips. Um, but what might work for a university in California, let's say, Absolutely. is not going to work in Connecticut. Absolutely. This drives me crazy. Uh, Having been a clinical nurse specialist at the hospital, I know that a lot of times nurses say, oh, well, let's just get so-and-so hospital's policy on whatever. We'll just use it here. And I would always say no, because unless we bring their doctors, their patients, their (laughs) culture, their bosses, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so it would be really nice if you could just, you know, kind of slap it on. But truth is that it's a different place and you really got to work it out because other, I mean, you can put anything you want to on paper, but actually getting it lived out is quite another story. Right. So, Michelle, this brings me to another question that I guess now I have, which is, uh, I'm not much of an academe, although I've I've been on faculty at three different universities. I'm really much more of a clinical soul, but uh, I'm not sure if the university environment is any better or any worse than any corporate environment uh, as related to breastfeeding. Uh, what do you say? <laughs> I, I, that's, that's a tough question. Yeah, I it think, is. <laughs> I think some campuses definitely are operating a little bit better, but I think the majority are not. 
I think there are exceptional practices happening in, in the corporate setting. Again, probably because of more of a top-down approach. Okay. Uh, it becomes the culture from the leadership down. I think on university campuses, given the nature of the kind of work that we do, it often is a grassroots effort that yes. fuels these programs. Yes. Uh, and there's tip, you're typically fighting for the resources you know, to furnish the rooms, to create the policy. And so it, it possibly is a longer process, a more arduous process. But in the end, I think it's more of an institutionalized process. And so there's a greater possibility for a supportive culture to come out of that because so many people have been involved in and are invested in the success of the initiative at that point. Well, and you know, you would like to think that a university is a place where people learn and what they learn is not just out of a textbook. You would hope that they would be learning how to have a better life and make a better life for other people and so forth. So it seems like you would would really want to and be able to have a, a way to normalize breastfeeding in a, a university campus. Michelle, I noticed that somebody uh, in your book got a $3.5 million grant. Now, I think it was the one in Michigan. I looked at this and I thought, wow, I'm liking this idea a whole lot. But what I find is that people, every time I mention getting a grant, People just kind of say, oh, well, you know, we would we would never be able to get a grant, blah, 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 blah. Uh, talk to us about grants. What do you think? That was actually the University of Rhode Island. And oh, Rhode Island, okay. They, they were able to connect that to women's advancement in higher education, which uh, we asked them to participate in that chapter, you know, for that reason. It was, it was a very innovative approach. Uh, and very needed approach to legitimize breastfeeding as a women's issue, as a women's success issue. Nice. Um, and it it's definitely something within the reach of other people in higher education and outside of higher education. I think researchers, faculty scholars, researchers are at an advantage because they typically are writing grants as part of right. their their re- their right. work. Um, and being able to connect breastfeeding to so many different things that we're already involved in and that our institutions already care a lot about sustainability, for one example, okay. uh, social justice for another right now. I think that that it's important to take advantage of these opportunities to include something that's so important to so many women in our institutions. I think that's huge. I think that's absolutely huge. And so have others been successful that you're aware of? Maybe not to the tune of $3.5 million, but uh, I guess I'm asking, are they a one-off or is this something that you've seen repeatedly? Uh, repeatedly is probably seemingly too, word. too uh, frequent. <laughs> yeah. um, I do think that many of us I have been able to secure some small grant funds to help support various components of our programs. Uh, I had a call today about receiving a little bit of money to help possibly to get a hospital grade pump for our lactation space. Mm -hmm. Um, We previously have used a small grant from our Connecticut Breastfeeding Coalition to provide the women at Southern with insulated little cooler bags that, that say, you know, Southern supports women from the very start. And it, 
you know, so they would get that when they announce that they're having a baby and that they are going to be needing maternity leave in the near future. Okay, so even if it's not a big chunk, there are certainly right. some opportunities that people can pursue. Hey, everybody, do not go away. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Dr. Michelle Vancor. So, Michelle, one of the things that people, we were just talking about money before the break. So now I think I want to pick it up with something that money does. Money buys things. And to that end, I noticed that in your book, one of the authors mentioned about not only partnering with corporations, but partnering with the right corporations. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I think that, you know, we, we definitely always encounter that challenge from the university perspective, um, you know, trying to make sure that the, the businesses that we choose to, to support the work that we're doing, we want to make sure that they're mission and vision is in line with the kinds of things that we believe in or our institution supports as well. Um, I don't think it's any different, you know, for these kinds of programs, trying to get them off the ground. And I know that I've also been really involved in our Connecticut Breastfeeding Coalition. And I know that it's it's always at the forefront of my mind, you know, are these organizations compliant with the World Health Organization Organization code? And so, you know, and, and what else, what other kind of work are they doing? You know, um, 
certain companies just have a, have a mission, you know, um, I, I don't know if it's okay to say, but like Hygieia, for example, being a, having sustainability as one of their main components, oh. but that's mm-hmm. similar to other companies, right? The idea really is alignment. How do you align yourself right. with, with corporate folks that are on the same wavelength, so to speak? Am I following that? Yes, definitely. Yeah. You've said that in order to get these best practices, that they need to be, quote, innovative, flexible, and collaborative. I love it, Michelle. Can you break that down for us a little bit? Well, not to give you too big of a question there. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's the standard things that, that everyone should be doing because the law dictates that we provide certain accommodations and, and provisions within those accommodations. Uh, but it, to be innovative, you truly have to go above and beyond and to really realize what the moms need who are on your campus in order for them to achieve their breastfeeding success and meet their goals. Um, I think that that's one of the key components. I think the collaborative piece has to do a lot with with trying to get that that engagement, that um, support of the initiative, uh, where it's embedded within your culture, so that everyone's natural reflex when they see a mom that's going to have a baby or just had a baby returning to campus, that they're going to offer support in the way of sharing the resources that are already available on their yes. campus for her to use. And what was the third? Uh, the third one was the collaborative, and you've addressed that somewhat, but go ahead. Um, and, you know, Johns Hopkins re- referenced a shared responsibility model and the idea oh, right. that, mm-hmm. that, you know, different people are buying in. And I think in the chapter and in private conversations with the, the people at Johns Hopkins, you know, they said from the custodian through to the president of the institution, the institution, there's this idea that we're, we're all invested in the success of, of breastfeeding and the success of our, our community in this area. So I think that makes all the difference. I think as I heard you talking that you're making the differentiation between what we must do versus what we should do, that, that this is the right thing to do. Uh, and I was also noticing that Michigan State University has 90, and I'm saying 90, lactation rooms in its campus systems. Now, I'm guessing that there are actually several campuses, but nonetheless, what on earth? Did, we started out this show to, talking today about how it's so difficult to get space. What on earth did they do to get 90 different uh, lactation rooms? Well, they really are doing a great job with that shared responsibility model. They're identifying champions on their campus that Uh believe that they need to have spaces that are nearby for their moms within that five-minute walking rule. And so there's spaces that are being allocated. Again, some of them are um, spaces that may have another purpose at some times, but that are available for moms. Ideally, that's what most campuses would want to have. They'd want every department to identify spaces. My campus is not that large, but if a student has a class at one end of the campus and then the other end of the campus and somewhere in between that walking distance, she needs to pump breast milk, she can't necessarily make it all the way 
over to where the spaces that currently exist are. So she's going to need a conference room, an empty office, some kind of, you know, as, as it's known as swing space that mm-hmm. she'd be able to access that's private and convenient and comfortable and has an electrical outlet and all of the other amenities that she would need. And that would be the difference between the basic necessities that she has versus the in- most innovative space, obviously, but sure. it still it would address her needs. Michelle, you have spent hours and hours of your life work doing this. You have been active with other campuses. You've been active on your own campus. You've written grants. You've written a book. Uh, what has been, when I look at the sort of all of the things that you've done to make this happen, what would you say has been the most gratifying part of all of that effort? Um, definitely the people that I'm working with and the people that I'm working for, you know, knowing that you're making a difference, even if it's just one mother at a time, one, one family at a time. But, mm-hmm. you know, as hard as the work is and as long as some days are with, with everything that I do, not just this, you know, that one thank you, you know, knowing <laughs> that you made that difference yes. means everything. Uh, uh, believe me, I really get it. That's how I often feel about the radio show. As much as I truly loved working in the hospital, I loved being a staff nurse, but I could only help one person at a time. Uh, if you can help more than one person at a time, that is just exponentially more gratifying and you have clearly done a fabulous job with that more importantly what you've been able to do today is to talk to literally tens of thousands of people helping them to be a mother to go forward in their own university setting or to be perhaps a person who does have the power to authorize this or collaborate with this or somehow make this happen and for that we hugely thank you for your insights. You've been tremendously enlightening. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Marie. It's my pleasure. Well, as usual, folks, that's all the time that we have today. But before we sign off, I do want to again thank my guest, Dr. Michelle Vancor, author of Best Practices, Breastfeeding Best Practices in Higher Education. And I would like to remind you that we will have that book as well as other books that we have mentioned on this show in our Amazon affiliate store. If you go to borntobebreastfed.com, you will see my blog and you will see that there is a link where you can get Michelle's book or other people's book. So we would invite you to do that. There's also my blog and there's my Facebook page. If you're on my Facebook page, please remember to like us. If you have a question for me or for Michelle, please feel free to leave a question on Facebook or you can email us at radio at borntobebreastfed.com. If you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, Remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources in my blog are all available, and that is at my professional site, breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. (music) 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.